Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number 81, where we're going to talk about the power of love, right? <laughs> yeah, song 8, 5 through 14, I think. So we will all enjoy that. I, I do remember when we recorded this, I think when we stopped recording, we all thought that was a really oh, good yeah. discussion. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you think that too. But before we get to that, as always... We have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. Charlie, I like how you were dragging that out there to see if Tim would jump the gun, but he didn't. I like dragons. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) political. (laughs) Tim, I just love his his ability just to move on from the nonsense. I do. I do. I was kind of struggling. I I haven't been reading much uh, because I'm writing right now. I'm working on my on my book uh this last week we made some additional progress and this week i should be able to finish the book proposal and we'll see where things go from there but uh the books in business that uh, i'm going to bring is actually a book that i've read previously and i've talked about it on the podcast the rise and triumph of the modern self by carl truman i talked about it on episode 53 so you can go back and um get a review of that on episode 53, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. Uh, The reason I'm bringing it up is because he has released a new book called Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. I've been meaning to get into this book and I just have not made it and I am giving up. That's what it comes up down to. Uh, so I've read The Rise and Triumph of the Modern South, which is 430 pages. It's a beast. Uh, yeah, when that book originally came out, a lot of people really liked it, but they said, you've got to write a shorter one because it's not accessible. That's what Strange New World is. It's the more accessible edition of The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. So if you've read Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, you're not going to really be interested in this. But if you have n- not read Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, you need to read one of these two books. It's uh, again, I haven't read this book, but it's just supposed to be a condensed version of the bigger one. Uh, we're going to put it on sale in the Faith Bookstore for this month. So oh, um, pick it up, Strange New World by Carl Truman. If you're wondering how in the world can a man say that he's a woman, he's a woman in a man's body and all that kind of stuff, uh, he kind of explains how people really do think that way uh so strange new world and of course that title what does that make you think of it reminds me of brave new world by aldous huxley exactly so you had um two two we've talked about this on our podcast before but it bears repeating Um, neil postman wrote his book amusing ourselves to death and in that book in the introduction he talks about brave new world uh aldous huxley's brave new world and then 1984 by i just blanked out Orwell, George Orwell, and uh, how um, Orwell was wrong with 1984, Huxley was right with Brave New World, which, by the way, both of those books have... Was Orwell wrong? I know, that's the, I'm coming to that. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt, I, except that I did. No, it's okay. <laughs> but um, basically, um, 
Huxley said in Brave New World, amuse them and you can do whatever you want. Interestingly, we've learned rec recently that our government has created a disinformation division within the Department of Homeland Security, which is very much in line with 1984 and uh, George Orwell's book. So there's just some interesting things that are going on even in our country. Uh, Brave New World and um, Huxley's 1984 both have unchristian content in them. So if you're like, oh, I should read those, so just be aware uh, particularly Brave New World, it has some pretty, pretty strong stuff in it. But Strange New World by Carl Truman, uh, you should read. Hey, I only winced when you said that it was going to be on sale in the Faith Bookstore because I got birthday money for my birthday and I went to the Faith Bookstore and I bought that book and it's on my reading list. You already get an employee discount. Oh yeah, I probably get a really so good discount. That's a good point. That's going to be a big difference. Don't be jealous listeners, except that you should be. I was going to say something too, but I don't remember what it was now. Okay. So I have a book before, before I get to the book. That was like a Tim segue right there. Yeah. He's rubbing off on, well, he's happy finals week. So before, before I get to my book, I do want to mention again that there's this little group of friends from the play that I have now. Right. And I've kind of oh, yeah. like vaguely mentioned get, them a few times. Do you guys have like a name for your group group or crew um, or play group? We, for a while, it was just the movie slash Chick-fil-A group. I was going to say, like the Chick-fil-A group. You know? We've watched a lot of movies, and we've eaten a lot of Chick-fil-A. But uh, they, they're a little upset that I didn't name them by name. Oh. They want me to oh boy. specifically name them. Oh. So my book is called Spent Matches. <laughs> Spent Matches by Roy Morin. And I'm actually, uh, this is a great. book... <laughs> that was really impressive, Charlie. Good yeah. Job. For the ones of the group that listen, sorry. <laughs> um, so <laughs> spent matches. Spent match. So this is a book I'm reading for one of my doctoral classes. The 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 subheading is igniting the signal fire for the spiritually dissatisfied. And so with the match illustration, kind of my initial take was, oh, this is gonna be a book about people who are like burnout in ministry. You know, like spent matches, you know, like, okay. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to categorize this book. It's like the first, first few chapters. I have not finished it. I will have it finished by tonight. Um, it seems kind of sporadic in its approach. It's, it's a discipleship type of a book where he's advocating for like, what does the great commission actually say? Uh, for example, uh, the main the main command is make disciples, and then you have the going and the baptizing and the teaching, right? And he actually makes quite a big point of, well, no, it's not teaching. It's teaching to obey. Like there's a complementary infinitive, like teaching hmm. them to obey. So it's true. And he's gonna yeah. he's gonna go down this road of thinking of, well, you can teach, you can teach what the commands are, but if you're actually not getting people to obey the commands, you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. Which, he's right. Yeah. And uh, so I think I said this off air just a few moments ago. Like, I I was breezing. Th you know, sometimes doctoral reading, you just like kind of, you know, turn the fan on and you know pages move really quick. Horrendous. And uh, well, you learn you learn to read quickly. You learn I, to read quickly. I call that the seminary skim and in intro to Bible study. Yeah. I tell students, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> in seminary, 
Okay. The, the first I'm, conversation. I'm, really, I'm not one to, to talk. About first conversation I, I ever Tim. had. You can't say anything, Tim. First conversation I had with Dan Brown at seminary orientation was you guys need to learn to read faster. If you think you have to read every word on the page, this is going to kill you. Uh, and I know some people hear that and they're like, man, I have to read every word on the page. I actually feel that way too, where these clowns, they're, they're pouring coffee and like bumping their microphones. Oh, listen to this. I muted my microphone. Oh my gosh. Oh man, that's going to taste so good. So I actually, when I read, I do struggle with, if I'm not reading everything, I'm missing something that I need to find. Yeah. So I do think there's, you know, reading slowly and carefully is really helpful, but there are times where you just don't. So I, I, I was moving quickly, trying to, okay, what's the ideas he's presenting here? And it seemed at first just like a run of the mill, like we're missing the Great Commission type of a, of a thrust. Um, and so I was kind of like, okay, just like throw it in the stack of books that, not the shack stack, but throw it, throw it in the stack of books that just like, okay, this is how discipleship really should be done. And then I, I, I come, a couple of paragraphs actually did catch my attention and I slowed down and I was, oh, okay, I actually really like what he's saying here. So I'm going to read that. I'm going to read that. So he's talking about like what teaching actually is. Um, so on the side of the page, you can, I'm showing it to them. There's like this big quote about teaching. Teaching as a transfer of information is hardly what Paul had in mind when he challenged us, Amen. which is true. Yep. So then this is the previous page. He's talking about this quite a bit. So I'm going to read uh, like three paragraphs. So bear in mind, bear with the, the length here. This is him. Please understand, I'm not arguing that every use of the word teach in the Bible means cause to learn. That's from an argument he was just making. But if teaching is simple lecturing, delivering content, the transfer of knowledge from one person to another, it does not qualify under the biblical standards for teaching. If teaching is training others to use the same labels for concepts, then we are defining teaching as facilitating memorization. Memorization doesn't scratch deep enough to engage life change. You shouldn't take comfort as a teacher just because I accept your labels and regurgitate them back to you. Transformation takes place deep inside a person where no teacher can manipulate. So, as a teacher, if I'm going to participate with God the Spirit in the teaching learning process, I need to aim deep, much deeper than the memory, and clothe myself with the great humility because I'm attempting to operate in an area where I am blind. There is a transaction between God the Spirit, eternal truth, and the human soul that I'm not privy to, nor do I necessarily understand it. So what is my role as a teacher? A lot of things in there that I think are good, helpful, and I just, you know, I'm going to give a shameless plug. So I think we would all agree memorization, like knowledge transfer, is not real discipleship. Right. There's more than that, which right. if we go back to the beginning of our discipleship questions. What is discipleship? I think we said this. Mm -hmm. Knowledge acquisition and character transformation. In the first paragraph, he talks about transfer of knowledge. In the second paragraph, he talked about transformation. But that third paragraph, a transaction between God the Spirit, eternal truth, and the human soul. Ooh, that's good. Ooh. And so he says, in that transaction, I'm not privy to it. It's like, where that transformation is actually happening, I don't know. Well, I actually think we do know. 
How does God get me from the teaching of God's word to genuine transformation? Hmm. He trains us. Mm -hmm. And the transaction happens in my recognition of my own heart and recognizing my sinful need of Christ and the Spirit, I humble myself. And when I humble myself, God gives me grace and changes me. So it's a recognition of the issue and then the right response of faith. And so I almost, I was really encouraged. Like we're speaking the same discipleship language here, but that third paragraph, I'm like, hey, this is the book I'm writing. It's like, how do we actually engage in transformation? Like, where does that transaction happen? It happens in humble recognition to what's going on in my own heart, Deuteronomy 8. James 4, I humble myself and he exalts me. I submit to the Lord, I draw near, he draws near to me. And so uh, nestled in the midst of this book, I think about ha- that's about halfway through, is some really good stuff. I- I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give a full judgment, but I-, I liked that. I really liked that. So Spent Matches by Roy Morin. I have no idea who he is. So there's my book. It's been interesting being a teacher in the last decade. Um, I'd been a Sunday school teacher for about eight years before that, but for adults, but like being on a college campus, you, you really can't only make, like you need the grammar of a subject and the logic and the rhetoric. So you have to know things you have to pass. You have to get them to memorize the, the nuts and bolts of it. You need the trivium. You need the trivium. It's not trivial, but to only make a class about here, let me give you knowledge. Here's some information you don't have. Google has blown that to bits. Now I know Google's not reliable, but we're trained by daily use to go to wiki or to go whatever. And so, man, giving them skills to think with and then attempting to ask them about like their own life, get like the, that that's real teaching. And I think it's been made clearer because information is so widely available, even though it's not widely trustable in our current last moment. comment before you go to your go book. Yeah. Uh, which is what poses a really interesting dilemma for online education. Yeah. It, As the yes. uh, soon-to-be director of online learning here at Faith, it's like, how do you actually mm-hmm. facilitate real learning in an online yeah. environment? Because it's not just to watch the videos, do the assignments, do the reading. Like, There's more to it than that. Yeah. And for, for a Bible college, that presents a very unique challenge. Maybe, maybe a little temper that just a little. Depending on the teacher, it may not be that. Because you could set your class up to where if you watch the videos and do the assignments, it does facilitate that. But I'm with yes. you. It's just, I, that, here's that would the videos. Be, that would be the yeah. way to do it. Yeah. yeah. There, is, there is a right way. and yep. There's a way that seems right unto a man. <laughs> unto a teacher. <laughs> there's, there's a way that's, that seems right unto an online teacher, which ends in death. <laughs> All right. So for my book this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harken back to, I was going to mention Postman. Right now, but Tim already brought him up, so I can't wait. And I only got five minutes. I got to do this, so I'm going to mention. I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to recommend a book called The Quotable Lewis. The Quotable Lewis. It's edited by Jerry Root. This is a compilation of Lewis on various topics. If you think of an encyclopedia that has topics, and you look up the topic, that's like this for Lewis. And so it's a great book if you want to know what he thinks about this or that. And it's just quotes. It's just quotes. So I'm going to give you three samples. And I'm going to say right at the outset, though, I know Neil Postman Postman says you should read a quote in context. Uh, and if you're not reading it in context, you're missing it. But, but I would say that what this is doing for me 
is I remember reading Lewis say something about this, or I wonder if Lewis talks about this. You look it up and every one of these quotes gives you the book and the page number so you can then go and read him in context. So this is not like a chicken soup for the soul where you just you, sh- you just read it and don't read Lewis. Um, but still, there's a lot of good stuff here. So, uh, for example, he has a whole section on the imagination where there's quotes about Lewis talking about imagination. So I'm going to read a couple. Now, this one's interesting because he doesn't mention the word imagination, but he's taught. Oh, no, he does at the very end. I'm wrong about that. Okay. We are inveterate poets. When quantity is very great, we cease to regard it as mere quantity. Our imaginations awake. Instead of mere quantity, we now have quality, the sublime. Men of sensibility look on the night sky with awe. Brutal and stupid men do not. When the silence of the eternal spaces terrified Pascal, it was Pascal's own greatness that enabled them to do so. To be frightened by the bigness of the nebula is almost literally to be frightened of our own shadow. For light years and geologic periods are mere arithmetic, until the shadow of man, the poet, the maker of myths, falls upon them. As a Christian, I do not say we are wrong to tremble at that shadow, for I believe it to be the shadow of the image of God. But if the vastness of nature ever threatens to overcrow our spirits, we must remember that it is only nature spiritualized by human imagination which does so. Now, I thought that was a beautifully written paragraph. I think it would take a while to unpack it. Um, he also talks about, um, he talks about children next. Very often the only way to get, uh, a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you already had it. That is why children's games are so important. They all, they're always pretending to be grownups, playing soldiers, playing shop, but all the time they are hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown up, it actually helps them to grow up in earnest. So there's just some fun stuff in here. The other one that I thought would be interesting to read about is he has some well-known comments on reading old books, which for our podcast, I thought would be very appropriate. So now that last quote at the very end, it gives, you know, where you can find it. But he says this on reading of old books. He says, there are two ways of enjoying the past as there are two ways of enjoying a foreign country. So imagine you're going on a trip to foreign country. One man carries his Englishness abroad with him and brings it home unchanged. Wherever he goes, he consorts with other English tourists. By a good hotel, he means one that is like an English hotel. He complains of the bad tea, where he might have had excellent coffee. But there's another sort of traveling, and another sort of reading. You can eat the local food and drink the local wines and share the foreign life. You can begin to see the foreign country as it looks, not to the tourist, but to its inhabitants. You can come home modified thinking and feeling as you did not think and feel before. So with old literature, you can go beyond the first impressions that the poem makes your modern sensibility. But study of the study of things outside of the poem, by comparing it with other poems, by steeping yourself in the vanished period, you can re-enter the poem with eyes more like those of the natives. <coughs> Now, perhaps, seeing the associations you gave the old words were false, that the real implications are different than you supposed. And so this is, now this is from an article on the studies of medieval and Renaissance literature that I'm probably never going to end up reading because I've got so many other Lewis things to read. But here in this book, he provides it for me. So I thought it was pretty good. And then on that last quote there reminded me of George from Georgia and his admonition that when you read a book, 
you got to, what, how do you say it? You got to read it and enjoy it on its own terms first before you try to unpack it. Something like that. He's quoting Tolkien. So, so anyways, I would say it's the quotable Lewis. If you like Lewis and you want to look things up or see what Lewis says on things, I'd recommend it. I'd probably give it, I mean, I haven't read it. I've used it. So I'd say I'd probably like a six or a seven. So, yeah. Love it. Um, so I'll, this is my content. So I'm here to give you a brief, uh, explanation of what I'm going to talk about in a little bit. We're basically, there's the adjuration refrain, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Well, what is love? Let's have a conversation about love. In Song of Songs 8.4, we have the last adjuration refrain. I put you under oath. O daughters of Jerusalem, why would you stir up? Why would you awa even awaken love before it pleases? Uh, in this phrase, this last adjuration refrain, most English translations do not make it a question. But in the Hebrew, the original language it is understood as a question. And I would interpret it that way. Because the reader, or the author, of the adjuration refrain is exhorting the listener, the reader, to do something. Why would you stir it up? Why would you awaken love? And in this lesson, I want to build off of this idea of love and what is love. In uh, Song 8.5, uh, we have, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning upon her lover? Under the apple tree, I awakened you. Here we have awakening love. So there's a time to not awaken love, and there's a time to awaken love. And then in Song 8.6, I did skip some stuff there in verse 5. But in Song 8, 6, we have this description of love. And in this, in this uh, podcast, I want to talk about the power of love. That's one thing I want to talk about. In Song 8, 6, it states, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Because love is as strong as death. Jealousy is hard like Sheol. Its flames are flames of fire, the flame of the Lord. There are three metaphors in this verse. And I want to talk to you guys about this and get your input. You can start thinking about it now, but there are actually more than three, but there's the simile at the beginning, set me as a seal. What's the significance of a seal uh, on the heart and on the arm? Um, but here's the metaphors I want you to think about. How is love strong like death? How is love um, is, a, is a connected to this idea of jealousy, which is hard like Sheol? How is love like a flame? And this flame is, is like a flames of fire, the flame of the Lord. It's like this ferocious flame. So in what way is love like death, like the grave, Sheol, and like a flame? Maybe we could start there. What do you guys think? Like death, like the grave, like the flame, three things? Mm-hmm. Um, I have two thoughts. Do you want to jump in first? You want me to, you, I can give one and then you, you go. Can... Yeah. Once you, I've got one on the, I think I have one on all of them, but let's see. So my it. first thought is all of these things involve pain, like <laughs> dying or getting burnt. Love is painful people. This is the lesson from the podcast today. <laughs> Don't fall in love because it hurts. Well, like, oh well, think about like death. It's horrendous. Like there's, there's death, like. The great, like you died, and then fire. Well, dead, like, so there's can... no more pain because they're dead. Yeah, but I'm sure something happened to get you there. 
This is so good. This is horrendous. We're coming in cold, guys. Like, we have no so, warm-up to this. <laughs> we don't. We don't. This is just like a, let's see what happens. So that, that was my first thought. Okay, what else would be maybe like a connection to death? So metaphors, when we think through metaphors and how they work, there's a point of comparison. There's a point of connection. So Charlie's hitting on one point of connection might be pain. Anybody else? Uh, can I? Ooh. So can I can I just to another one? And I'll go mm -hmm. back to that one. Go for it. So when I'm thinking through these, uh, death and grave both go together in mm -hmm. my mind. But then it says jealousy is fierce and love is strong. So like strong as death is talking about the strength of death, not the pain of death. There we go. So then that would push us in a, in a direction for the metaphor. And then fierce as the grave, that I don't understand other than it's like maybe permanent. The, the fire one I think I get because the following statement says waters can't quench it. And so it's like a powerful fire. So I think maybe they're all, maybe is the overall connection between all three of them power? Or strength, permanent. So you mentioned you mentioned my other thought was like the, like the the death and the grave. Like once you're there, you're there. Yeah, that's like a good it's point. it's a it's like a permanency thing. Like I, th I like the way you said mm -hmm. that. That was the other th association that came to my mind. But then how that then plays with the other metaphor of the fire. Um, you know that's like if if it's comparing like the fierceness of I don't know. No, I, you're right. I think you got it. You just connected it. Well, I don't know. Tim will have to tell us if we're right. The fire is not permanent normally, but this fire is to the point where even water can't make it stop. Let's that read it? that verse because I didn't go that far. In verse seven, it states, many white waters are not able to extinguish love and rivers cannot flood over it. I've This is my translation, by the way. So when it says rivers, it's literally in the Hebrew rivers. So imagine a river bed and in the riverbed, there's this flame, this fire, and the water in the river cannot quench that love. So that's the analogy with the fire. It's this unquenchable love, this unquenchable fire. Okay, so with that explanation. I mean, it seems uh, like they're all permanency. I think you're right, Charlie. Like it's like it's a it's a it's a it's set. It's 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 decided. It's done. Okay. Type of a thing. So the point of connection made me think of Helm's Deep. Not no, not Helm's Deep. That's in Two Towers. Oh. Made me think of um, when like all the tree, uh, the ants come and like tear down the dam and like flood mm -hmm. Saruman's like fires of mischief. Anyway, but even like sorry to read the context, but you know Bible study teacher. So even in verse six though he says that means a seal on your heart and a seal on your arm. Is that is that saying like? seal doesn't ever come off and it's permanent or is it saying seal it visible to other people what do you think because if it's if it's seal not coming off then i really think you got a good strong permanency argument tim what do you think <laughs> he's like the, why don't you listener, tell us i wish you, you could see his face he's he's got like a, a mischievous glance he you know so when it states that love is as strong as death you're right on the idea here is that it's permanent this is the design that god made love when you love somebody, it's something that's supposed to be permanent. People don't normally come back from the dead. You know, there's that one person, <laughs> all right? Lazarus. Yeah, that guy too. And, um, you know, one day uh, we know that Jesus conquered death, okay? But put yourself back in the Old Testament times. Okay, people don't come back from the dead. It's permanent. It's done. That's the way God designed love. And that's why you shouldn't. Awaken. 
awaken it. And then good luck trying to... And if you do awaken love, then Mm. guess what happens? This is also the... Mm. Let's not go there yet, actually. It's like um, the second metaphor, jealousy. Remember, it's jealousy. Now, the jealousy is parallel to the love. Okay, love is as strong as death. Jealousy is hard like Sheol. Well, what is jealousy? And the idea of the word here in Hebrew is zeal or jealous. When you think of jealousy, what do you think about? It's almost almost like the idea of coveting. Like you really want something someone yes. else has, but it's it's a little different. It's like it's not necessarily put on the object, like you want the thing, but it's like you are upset with the person because they have the thing you want. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you have Actually, just today in apologetics, we were talking about Richard Dawkins' view on this. Richard Dawkins thinks that jealousy is simply an evolutionary byproduct where he wanted to like keep our mate from someone else. And so he argues that we should get past sexual jealousy and have open marriages. Interesting, because this is advocating the exact opposite. Yeah, that, I was just going to say that I think he's he's flipping it. He's also been married and divorced three times. It wouldn't so. surprise me if the Bible was the exact opposite of a lot of what Richard Dawkins <laughs> says. Can that be the, the quote for this episode? <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. If any of my apologies are listening. going out on a limb here. <laughs> that is a very like sturdy. monkey that I am. A very sturdy <laughs> limb there, Charlie. Very sturdy. <laughs> All right. It's Friday. We're getting jealousy. <laughs> so it's actually biblical that a spouse would have a jealous love for the other spouse. This is the way that it's supposed to be. God had a jealous love for Israel and expected Israel to have a jealous love for him. This is the marriage relationship in the way that it's supposed to be. But what happens if you awaken love too soon? What if you awaken love when there's not a seal? And then that person that you love, that you have no covenantal seal uh, commitment, or they have no commitment to you, then they end up liking somebody else. What does that experience feel like? Death. Okay, it's but stinks. in the pain sense. Yeah, but they're actually still alive. You know, it's one thing with death is that they're they're dead, they're gone, but it's not just that they're gone, it's that they're at, with somebody else. Mm. It's almost like this idea of a flame. It's a flame of fire. And it's supposed to be this unquenchable flame. But if you awaken it too soon, this flame of fire is raging for that person. This love that God created that's supposed to be permanent, that's supposed to be jealous, that doesn't have a seal to to, uh, bind the two people together, is raging. And then what are you trying to do? And what do you need to do? You need to put it out. Fire extinguisher. Yeah. And what's the fire extinguisher in the next verse? Jesus. <laughs> Water or I mean, a flood. Literally a flood. A, it's a flood. It's like a river. Okay. And the river's trying it's to. It's a put metaphor it out for, for Jesus. The, for Jesus. <laughs> You're horrendous. Yeah, wow. Where did okay. this covenant theologian come from? <laughs> now, this Forget covenants. A... It's just this allegory, man. Oh, <laughs> well, sorry. I meant Catholic. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So there's a really important lesson here for singles as they think through uh, what is this thing that you're playing with and when would be the appropriate time to awaken love. And encouraging you and instructing you, uh, the song encourages you, the the song instructs you on the nature of love, that this is not something to be trifled with, this is not something to play around with. It's essentially saying, don't fall in love. 
you shouldn't fall in love. You need to wait until the right time to love. And when is the right time to love? What does it say at the beginning of verse six? Set me as a seal. Hmm. See, this is the way that God designed love, is that there's this covenanted um, uh, obligation, uh, impression. Okay, the seal would be like this impression of, of uh, like, this is mine, right? Because a seal is going to be like ownership. This one is mine. Have you ever thought of the marriage covenant as being this way? Um, this husband is mine. This wife, it's mine. And it's a permanent, jealous, flaming, covenanted love. This is the way God designed love. And the seal is supposed to be upon what? In verse 6. Uh, your heart and your arm. Isn't that interesting? Oh, interesting? What's up with the heart and what's up with the arm? Ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. Go. Heart is internal. You can't see your heart. But your arm is external. You can see it. So is it like it's supposed to be on all of you? Okay, so the heart is going to refer to, well, what does the heart refer to? Your internal person, Tim. Yeah, your immaterial being. So love is not supposed to be something that's just an external thing that somebody does. It's actually stemming from an internal love. Okay, this seal, this covenanted desire is coming from one's immaterial person. But then it doesn't just say, you know, oh, I love you. You know, the whole joke about how, oh, I... I told you I loved you on our wedding day, and if anything changes, then I'll let you know, you know, that perception. That's definitely from the romantic movement, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, and then what does it say in the next line? Set me as a seal upon your arm, because what do you do with your arm? Stuff. Okay. <laughs> Listener, Tim put his arm out. Yeah, you just, you do stuff with your arm. So it's not just something that is inside your heart. It's something that you're actually doing. You living it, you're living it out. This is the way that God designed love. It's something that is internal, that is acted upon. It's permanent. It's jealous. And it's a flame of fire that's designed to never be extinguished. Now, the song continues in verse 7. Uh, if a man would give all the wealth of his house for love, they would despise him for it. So, so I mean... Couples struggle with this. We run into this all the time here on our campus because people fall in love or whatever it is that they experience. Well, and then, you know, it's like, well, she doesn't love me or he doesn't love me or there's no reciprocal uh, uh, feelings for the other person. Well, what do you do about that? What can you do about that? Try harder? You can try harder. And some do. And sometimes the person might change their affections, but well, Charlie, you worked for Student Life for a while. Yeah, I can tell you what you can do. Nothing. <laughs> you can do nothing. You let her go. That's well, okay. I will. Mm -hmm. That's not. That's not necessarily fair. Wait, you said let her go. Yeah, interesting. Hey, we we work with guys all the time, right? <laughs> you I, worked in Student Life with the guys. I, I will say, interestingly enough, that I have had a number of these conversations with gals over the years. Oh, like, okay. like, uh because they know I knew the guys, like what am I supposed to do oh, yeah. type language. Mm -hmm. um, but th there are things you can do. Not necessarily do in the sense of like, what do I do to get her or mm -hmm. them to use proper pronouns? Because uh, we don't know what genders have yeah. the issue. But what do they do? It's not like, tell me the list of things I need to do to win them or like get love reciprocated to me, but like ways to deal with your issue. There are things they can do. Mm 
there are things they can do. But here's one of the solutions that most often young people go to. And it's not often like physical buying, but it's metaphorical buying a lot of times oh. to try to earn the affection of somebody else. Sure. And well, the song has something to, to teach us about that. You can't buy love. You can't buy it. It has to be something that's given to you freely. So it teaches you the nature of love. This is the way that God designed love. It's something that's freely given from one person to the other. Now Solomon, with all of his lovers, he bought love. But once he bought it, he learned that what he bought wasn't love. He bought an experience, but it wasn't love. Mm -hmm. This is the design of love. This is the way that God made love. It's supposed to be a permanent, jealous, uh, ferocious, flaming thing. Okay, so that's it. That's what I have for my content. Just uh, two whopping verses. The permanent nature of love. What do you guys think about that? Sorry, I missed the tagline. <laughs> we, maybe we'll cut out some dead space, or maybe we won't. We never do. We never do. We never do. This is authentic. It's real. It's genuine. It could be a little less genuine than real. Yeah, yeah. So... I would like to have just a brief, I know we're running down on time here, but I would like to think through, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're in this position, mm. what ought they yeah. to do? That's good. Not due to, I mean, I've had, I've had dozens of conversations with guys who are like, no, I'm going to win her. What do I have to do? And you just try to calm them down, like chill, you know, like throw, maybe you need to have a bucket of water underneath your desk just to douse them with it. <laughs> Um, so I, I would like to think, th think that through on a, on a discipleship sanctification level, maybe you're a parent and you see a child go through this. What would you say to them? Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe you're a friend and one of your other friends is going through something like this. And you're like, well, what do I do? Uh, so I'd like to have that conversation, but I don't know, Andy, if you want to jump in or. No, I was going to, so it's very similar. I was going to ask, where does this, um, what are ways you can prevent this ahead of time other than just knowing not to fall like not to like jump into the love thing so in our culture and i think you've talked about this before related to like movies but i think we're cultivated growing up to want this and i think our default position in culture is to like lean into these things so so if you think about like um television shows where like uh, like a guy or a girl gets a crush on the main character and they're like posters in their bedrooms and things. So I'm just going to say, I was going to say like, well, how do you prevent this going forward when it's not dating yet? Or it's not, I know you don't like dating, but I'm saying like when it's not at that point where you're trying to meet someone, but like, what are the, the pre, the, 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 the pre ahead of time things that you would focus on? So you're asking, what do you do if someone's in this situation? I'm saying, how do you prevent this yeah, ahead of I, time? I kind of want to, Tim, you jump in on this too if you want to. Oh, I've got a ton to say. But so my thought is like... <laughs> you got not that much So time. in our culture with like physical ailments, because of the culture around America, some of the quote unquote healthy things that have been given, handed down over the last hundred years, uh, we are learning that humans today are now like predisposed to certain ailments. Like it's getting oh, yeah. worse. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think that's a spiritual reality as well, mm -hmm. that it's not like every new person is starting with a blank slate of consciousness 
or like the, I think the sins of the fathers do have an effect on on children and generations. And so, and I think the way in, in where someone's being grown up, I do I do think there's like a predisposition in a current American culture to this idea of falling in love. And and I would I would point out all this like you you just you came right on the cusp of it, but like it's the way that we entertain ourselves, mm-hmm. like yep. movies, TV shows, games, like all of it. All like it's like a culture of love is entertainment. It's not love is a lifelong monogamous commitment. Love is fulfillment. It's 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 wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Love wish is fulfillment. love is experience. It's it's making me happy. So. So let's talk first about preventing love, especially in a culture where everybody is telling you to fall in love. This is something that um, I noticed watching, I don't remember, some movie with my kids. You know, it's a Friday right now, and we like to watch and have a movie night every once in a while. And these messages uh, come through all the time in uh, popular media. Yeah. Because I'm watching Lord of the Rings. You just talked about this too, I know. but And they just shove that, um, I don't even care what her name is, Aragorn and his uh, bride, they like bring that like right to the front of your face in the movies. And it's like, dude, read the book. It's not even there. It's why, not even there. Why do they not have to put it there? Because it appeals to so many yep. of these people. Yep. Okay, so how do we Ugh. combat that with our children or with the people in our youth groups or any of that? And I would say that the answer is you start talking about it and you need to start talking about it way earlier than you think you should talk about it. So even when my daughter is four years old and she's watching this Disney movie that's promoting this specific theology of love that's contrary to Song of Songs 8, we have a conversation. And then I taught our children's group that are four years old to sixth graders uh, this information, not to awaken love. It has to be instilled at a very young age. So that's one step that you can take. Now, Stearns, I don't know when you want to jump in, but I know that you have some thoughts on this that you might want to share. No, I just, I think that for me, growing up, it was the sitcoms, it was the movies, it was even like the action movies, it was all that. Even some of my video games that I played, and I played like nerdy RPG games, they centered around some sort of a romance, and I'm, I'm how old am I at the time? I'm like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and so that put in my mind, this is how the world looks. This is what this looks like. And when they're saying this is what the world looks like, this is the way reality is supposed to be. Yeah, That's exactly. what they're telling you. Like you see, you see always, the guy always gets the girl. They always go have a, happily ever after. And so then there's a, sub, a, a subconscious or an overall discipleship message or discipling you to think that if you get married, you'll have that. But uh, the Bible doesn't always portray that. In fact, uh, marriage is a lot more about self-sacrifice and sanctification. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just going to agree with you here, but I want to hear what you had to say. Well, you, the point you've made a few times where I thought you were going to go with this is even when our children are younger, not intentionally trying to like match them up with other oh, people. Yeah. Okay. Let me have that. It. You go ahead. Yeah. So people will, uh, we're not fans at all. And if you've done this to my kids and you're listening, don't worry, we forgive you, but don't do it again. Um, when, when someone looks at like a little kid and another little kid, boy and girl and they're like oh man look i think they like each other like my wife and i do not like that we don't want to respond to that we don't want to encourage that and so we don't even joke about that because a lot of times you joke about things but then it plants seeds and so 
I, that was the all we had for the longest time until you and Kids for Truth started talking about this. I'm like, well, that's a much better way to talk about it. So this whole idea of planting seeds also is instilled in children when they're very young. And so that they, they have this expectation. It's like, no, we don't date when we're in high school, okay? We're going to talk about how to find a spouse and all of that. When you get older, there's, this isn't something that you need to be encumbered with or distracted about right now at your age. And you start laying those seeds and planting those seeds when they're very young. And so we've sought to do that as well uh, so that our children have the expectation and the knowledge that, that they're not supposed to date. And when we say dating, we're saying exclusive relationships. So we're all about our children spending time together in groups with other people of the opposite sex, and that's totally fine. Um, but the point is uh, an expectation of not having an exclusive relationship, uh, during, particularly during the high school years. Okay, that's all I've got for that point. Did you have, a, have anything nope. else? that was all I had. So now what do we do about it? Now what do we do about it? So let's say you have awakened love. Uh, uh, my condolences. Okay, we can end, end the podcast now. No, I'm just kidding. It's horrendous. Oh, see you next week. <laughs> we could do a part two. We, we have plenty of time. We have plenty of time. Um, so, so yeah, the first I, thing I have, all right, I, I'm just going to You have it. a list. You have a list in your I brain. have like four things. Run through. Okay, and we've Run already talked list. about one of them quite a bit. One is you need to constantly be speaking truth to our, yourself. We're very good at deceiving ourselves, especially if it's something that we really, really want. So, I mean, I've talked to young men about this and- I tell you, it's like his brain is just not thinking, right? <laughs> and it truly isn't. It's not thinking, right? That's literally what's going on. You're not wrong. And that's what the song teaches because love does that. It makes you not think correctly. And you have to think truth and speak truth to yourself on a regular basis. Get somebody involved that's going to help you speak truth to you. To you. Um, we constantly say ourselves, oh, maybe so-and-so does or will like me in the future. Okay? It's a lie. Speak truth to yourself, remind yourself of what the person said to you, and uh, let go. Okay? There's a pride component here yeah. where it's like, man, they rejected me. You need to humble yourself and lean upon the God who loves you. Uh, this is a time for sanctification. And uh, I pray that as you go through this trial, that God does use this trial in your life to sanctify you. Okay, I'll go to number two. Yeah, just keep going. Yeah. Number two is what we've been talking about already. You need to change your diet. And we're not talking about food. We're talking about worldly consumption. If you're constantly intaking this message from popular media, then you're going to still have this idea of love, that this is the way that it's supposed to be. You need to unsubscribe from these worldly media platforms, your Netflix, your Hulu, your blah, 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 blah. Unsubscribe from them. You don't need them. Unsubscribe to those and subscribe to biblical consumption okay can i throw in something Go. on that especially with social media yeah and and i'm, yep. I'm not i'll tell you the other day i was having a conversation with some friends i l literally in this conversation learned a word i had never heard before i'm guessing we're about to learn it too then that night i get on social media and the first video on my instagram feed is talking about that thing. Oh, okay. Okay, so th the point being, they know what you like, and they give you lots of it. Yep. So if you're mm -hmm. sitting there on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or whatever the new one is five years later that you're listening to this podcast, and 
you're you're just listening to that music or you're looking for those little clips from the mm-hmm. romantic movies or whatever whatever and you 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 start scrolling those and you start watching those it knows yep and it's going to feed you more of it and so literally the best thing you can do is delete it from your phone yep mm-hmm. I mean, yep. the best is a superlative like it's not the best thing it will be helpful it's, it's really what they good. really need to do especially if they're really going through the trial you need to get that stuff out of your life. Um, you cut off your hand. Yeah, you, you, you cut your eye. That's it. That's exactly it's it. It's a means of grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you increase something else. If you cut that stuff out of your life, then there's all of a sudden going to be a hole in your life mm-hmm. of two to three hours or however long that you're usually intaking that stuff. So then what do you need to do? You need to inc- increase your consumption of the Bible. Talk to a friend and say, hey, I'd like to get together on a Bible study. Let's do it for like an hour uh, a day, uh, every other day. Uh, I mean, an hour a week would be a minimum. Uh, get a couple friends, get three friends, whatever. Okay. Of the same gender. Right? Exactly. Not the person that you are trying to. Hey, you want to, you want to <laughs> do a Bible study with me? <laughs> I shouldn't have gone there. Okay. Hey, anyway. I would also say if you, if you're like, oh man, Dr. Little, you want me to study the Bible an hour a day? I don't know where I can fit them into my schedule. Open up your iPhone, go to screen time, and look at your tally and totals yeah. for all your social media, you have the time. And it's interesting too, as someone who is going to watch a, an incredibly long movie tonight, it's like there's, we really don't get to say we're too busy. Yeah. You know? Yep. Uh, third, get out and be with real people. The worst thing you can do is be sitting in your dorm room or your bedroom or all by yourself someplace. So not just study the Bible, study the Bible with others. I kind of, I do want to, I want to come back to make a point about friendship if we have time. So just just raise my hand there. Talk to your pastor, your parents, or godly mentors, the people that are, that are pouring into your life uh, about who you could serve. Don't just have a life of you, have a life of serving and serving others. And do you have a neighbor or a widow that near, lives nearby that could, uh, that could use some help, uh, work a job. Um, Some students, they just, or some students, so used to talking to students, okay? Mm-hmm. Some people, they have too much time on their hands and they just need to get busy. Go get a job or a second job um, and work. Uh, God gave you strength. Use it in service to others. So that's the third point. And fourth, uh, you know what? God's allowed this trial to come into your life for a reason. Tell others about the trial that it is. Then go to song eight six through uh, five through seven and explain, Hey, you know what? This was really tough for me. And guess what? You shouldn't do. Use the experience that God has brought into your life as an example to others and take that role of being discipled to becoming a discipler. As you, as others build into you and help you through this trial, then you take that and you go and you build into others. Yeah, and that, that's a good place to talk. I just want to say something about friends here too because it connects to your first point. You need people who you are honest with and you can, your real, your real friends, your real friends are going to see it whether you tell them or not. And then, you know, even it's not like you're going to try and hide things from them. You almost can't hide them from your real friends. Like I have a couple of roommates 
Like you, you don't hide things from your roommates. You know, I'm not married, so they're my roommates. Uh, Tim and Andy have some roommates too, and it's hard <laughs> to hide things from them. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, and, and and you need people like that who you can be honest with, and you know, unconditionally love you, and it's it's not a an issue of you know, well, I, I'm going to tell them this and it's going to shock them and they're going to leave me, you know, like you, you really do need friends like that. And a lot of guys, a lot of guys where this spirals out of controls, it's an internal issue that they never tell anyone about. And so I think that's really helpful to just have a good friend. You can, you know, and it's, it's a bonus if they're mature and can tell you you're an idiot, you know, and it's like, like, Hey, you need to, you need to not do that. You know, and I've I've had a number of really good friends like that over the years, and um, yeah. So I'll just say, like, find someone you can be honest with. That's not the other gender. Yeah, <laughs> and I would say, Tim, to your point of getting biblical friends who you can tell about this, and then once you've come through it, go to Song Eight, and then use this in other people's lives. I think there's two other places in Scripture that would support thinking like that. First of all, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, where it talks about suffering, you suffer, God comforts you, and then you comfort other people with the same kind of comfort. Now I know this kind of suffering is a little bit self-imposed, but it is suffering nonetheless, and it is a trial nonetheless. And so if you come through this and God teaches you, it is now your job. But then I remember when Charlie, you went through this Psalm on the podcast, like 25 episodes ago, Psalm 51, after David has confessed to the Lord his sin, which we might want to ask, is this a sin to awaken love early? If the Bible says don't do it and we do it, is that sin? If it is, I think it is, then when you humble yourself, admit it, confess, and repent, and God brings you through it, what does David do? Uh, He experiences the deliverance, and then in verse 13, then I will teach rebels your merciful ways, and sinners will turn to you. And so I think he goes and does that. So I think you're right on. Go ahead, Charlie. And, and, and you you brought up Second Corinthians, and I think there is a caveat here uh, of like being the teacher. Is it, and I'll bring some James language in too. We're we're telling you that this is going to be a trial for you, and so James one one or not one 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 two count mm-hmm. it all joy. Yep. If you're in this position, yep. you're like, oh, my life is over. No, it's not. God knows, and this is intentional. Mm-hmm. He wants to He wants to train you. Uh, but then there's another imperative. It's actually like a Joseph. It's a third person, like let it have its perfect work. That's how I teach it in class, uh, Tim, just for you. Beautiful. Tell him in Hebrew, there's this thing called a Joseph. But um, let it have, let steadfastness have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Like the way for you to get to that position of of peace is to allow, to submit to the work that God's doing. And then you come over to Second Corinthians. It's not just, oh, I'm in a trial now. Everyone has to listen to me. I'm the expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's that you're allowing God's Spirit to transform you, and then the character of Christ is on on display. Like you actually might not even say anything about it, but your response, your countenance, your joy, mm-hmm. it teaches people what's true. I think that's a real way that you disciple is just by example of how to respond. Just one last thought, because I know sometimes. Uh, especially guys, but girls too. You, you have an element of pride you're working with. So something like this happens. The minute you find out you've awakened love and you need to fix it, don't immediately think, okay, now I got to go tell other people. You need to walk this for a while and grow and be mature. So we are saying like use this in ministry, 
but that's not like the next moment after someone tells you this. You you, you want to walk with the Lord in this area and then be ready to share, not hide. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.